We believe that our expertise in human resources is partnered with the expertise of our clients, um, that they are actually experts in their own organization. Welcome to the Big Time Podcast, where we have honest conversations with industry professionals who have advice that's right for you. In this edition of Big Time Podcast, Tanya Neitzer joins us to tell the story of how she came to acquire Boreala Management, an HR consulting firm with two other partners, scaling it to 20 people and the operational philosophy that has led them to help indigenous peoples, nonprofits, and small to mid-sized businesses thrive. Welcome to the Big Time Podcast. I'm your host, Alexander. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Tanya Neitzer, who's based in Montreal, Canada, partner at Boreal Management. Welcome, Tanya. Good to have you on. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Now, uh, Boreal Management specializes in organizational effectiveness. Your typical clients that you work with are nonprofits, indigenous organizations, small, mid-sized businesses that don't have a strong HR or management team. And, and I'm fascinated to learn a bit more about especially the indigenous organizations that you've started to focus on. But I'd love to hear your story, Tanya. Like, the, Take me back of before you became a partner in, in Boreal Management, what, what was that process like? Did you just already knew that one day you wanted to be able to run your own firm? Absolutely. Um, so I think I've always been that kind of person who uh, is quite motivated and interested in uh, running things, whatever those things might be. Um, so my career generally was in human resources management. So prior to joining Boreala, I had been, uh, you know, the head of human resources in various uh, organizations uh, and wanted to switch into consulting because uh, consulting is, is just a fascinating field where you get to touch a lot of projects, very strategic. Um, at Boreala, I joined as a consultant and, and really enjoyed the clients that I was working with and at a certain and was also on the management team there. And at a certain point that you, that you joined, right? Yeah. 2016. Exactly. And at a certain point, um, the, the man, you know, the former owner decided to move on. And so three of us, uh, decided to acquire the firm. And from that point on, we've been three co-owners of Boreala Management. Yeah. Now this, this focus on, um, indigenous organizations uh, was that already happening like back in when you joined 2016 or, or how did how did the focus uh, uh originate of folk of helping um these uh nonprofits and indigenous organizations so uh the indigenous clients it's it's really interesting because um you know i I guess before I joined, uh, some relationships had been developed, some projects had been run, and, and it was more our style that um, resonated well with our Indigenous clients. So uh, as a, a firm... I, I don't ask. I'm curious because you already well, said our this style. this is it. It is yeah. our style. So uh, we don't claim to be specialists. We don't... Um, the consultants we work with that are, that are employed by us are not necessarily experts in... Um, First Nations or, you know, um, indigenous government structures or, or anything like that. It's that uh, our, um, our uh, mission is to build sustainability in our organizations and to build capacity. Um, so we believe that our expertise in human resources is partnered with the expertise of our clients, um, that they are actually experts in their own organization. And then together we build 
um, a solution that is sustainable, uh, that builds capacity. And this resonates because I, I think uh, a lot of consultants come in as the experts, but as only the experts. So we are the experts, whereas we truly partner with our clients. We really believe they are the experts actually. And, um, and then we bring an expertise in certain areas, but we, we bring solutions that um, take into account their reality and their context. And we're highly, you know, consultants are consultative. I, I get that that's typical, but we really like listen and understand the perspectives. Uh, and again, this just set, tends to resonate. So through word of mouth, we've just continued to have a lot of uh, clients that are um, within indigenous organizations of various types. When you're, when you're, hiring your consultants and to, to build your team in the, in the past. I mean, um, are there any lessons learned? Maybe did you, did, did you bring on someone you're like, wow, this wasn't a good fit and, and any takeaways from that? There's all, <laughs> of course, there are people who, you know, don't work out for whatever reason and um, lessons learned. I mean, um, well, the skills that we look for are, um, you know, they're the transferable skills. So, so less about the actual things you've done and more about the um, competencies, if you can say it like that. So, you know, being analytical or um, looking for solid solutions or um, really strong teamwork, but also uh, our team is, is very um, inclusive. And so we really involve several people in the process of hiring to ensure that there's a team fit um, and team fit being one of, big openness like we're trying to be very you know uh diverse and uh and and looking for various viewpoints so we i don't know if that really answers anything i think our uh, our goal is always to have a you know we have a lot of uh, really sharp and 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 good team players i think this is what we really look for and motivated and who are interested in the type of clients we work with how big is the team uh today uh, we're about 20 people 20 people and is, have you seen a, a difference going from um, maybe five or 10 people going to 20 uh, and, and the, the, the pros and cons of, of having that larger team? Uh, well, the pros of having a larger team are uh, that we can deliver more projects. I mean, obviously, you know, the more the more people we have, the more revenue we can make. Um, the it also gives us a great deal of flexibility in terms of um, being able to have have different skills. So even though you know, maybe our team is all able to deliver, you know, I've talked about project management. So maybe everybody can do project management and the team because we've, we have a model and we have a structure and, and tools. Um, but certainly you'll see one person is really, really strong for whatever reason in that area. And so, you know, we're able with a bigger team, we're able to find those more diverse resources who can do different things. And it also uh, enables us to be more agile at a point when, you know, all of a sudden we get five new projects that, you know, sometimes we're in a sales cycle and, you know, we know they're coming, but other times all of a sudden, you know, the phone rings, we have five new projects all of a sudden, and, you know, the bigger team, uh, you can be more agile. Now the downside to having the bigger team, not that 20 people is that big of a team, of course, but compared to five is that, uh, if somehow there's a downturn, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, the beginning of COVID, for example, when all of a sudden, you know, a few, many key projects went quite dormant because, um, you know, people shut their offices and so on. Uh, all of a sudden we have to deal with all those resources and find them, not only pay them, which is of course a challenge, but find them work, keep them busy, make sure that they're motivated. So that was, I mean, at the beginning of COVID, I think that was a, a challenge for sure.
you mentioned uh, during COVID and, and it's nice that you can see hours and people are engaged in doing things. And this can play a role because of knowing how the team is working together. Okay. That's one way. How else though, have you been able to keep your uh, consultants, your employees, your team engaged and on point? Yeah. During COVID specifically, or just generally? Uh, just in general, but you can include what maybe the things you've done this past year that you might even continue doing beyond COVID. Yeah, so a few things that um, that we have done, and I give great credit actually to my colleagues in this um, to focus on uh, on you know I'm the one who tends to uh, to focus on projects and work and billables. That's me, and uh, other colleagues are are. And it's not to suggest that I'm not, I don't believe in the importance of engagement. It's just, that's where my focus area is. And, uh, and my colleagues do, do find ways to really support the team. And so, so examples of the things that we do. So we have a Monday meeting, a scrum, where we talk about, um, you know, what's going on the week. So first of all, just to connect at that point, this is really important, right? Is to make sure that we're all connected and who's doing what and sharing the information and making sure that, you know, Joe, who's doing one project and Tina, who's doing another, both know that they're both doing a similar project and they can connect to. So that's one thing. Um, but we do spend some time actually asking each other how your weekend was and, and so on, which is, you know, a bit of a chit chat. Um, but that chit chat seems to be quite a way to, for people to connect. So we find that connecting is important. Um, we also have a Thursday meeting, which is entirely meant to be more social and connecting with some updates, organizational updates and so on. But it's a bit about um, keeping the team engaged and having a bit of fun. So we do things like a Kahoot, you know, lots of organizations do a Kahoot or other quizzes or uh, last week they did yoga. So we have a team uh, uh, um you know, a social committee we call Get Ensemble, French and English there. Um, and so uh, we did yoga together online. Well, I wasn't there. I was away. But we did another one about a month ago that was uh, was like a hit training. Uh, and that was awesome. Yeah. So the, so they have different themes. And and so we just really focus. We, we give the team some latitude to organize these things. Um, and uh, and so they do. But I, I think the biggest part of it is that we really encourage like open dialogue. We really encourage the fact that we trust the team to, to get their work done. And so it's okay to have these 30 minute moments of just, you know, fun each week. Um, these are some things we, of course we do uh, team meetings and, and we have, um, you know, a barbecue plant. Uh, we're excited because we're going to get to see their live again and, and different types of uh, activities throughout the year. But, but I think also another thing that we, we believe strongly keeps the team engaged is um, consistent messages, strong communications, um, transparency. So we try to be very upfront with people, you know, again, about the return to work, for example, we, uh, as soon as we um, became aware of when we were going to be able to go back, we kind of informed the team, even if all decisions weren't made, you know, just to keep them on, you know, aware instead of kind of finalizing everything and then sharing. Um, so these are some ways that we, uh, we think, are very helpful to keep the team engaged. If you think a past year or so, where have you found the best use of your time in growing the business? Um, certainly in developing initial client relationship. I think that's something that, uh, so whereas, uh, you know, in our three, three partnership, I think, uh, 
Lindsay is definitely going to be the one who figures out where to target and the you know strategic or you know who are we going to where is the best market for us. Whereas I, I think uh, and and I think all of us are good at the client relationships, by the way. But I, I think that that's one thing that um, that that I find that I do well is to uh, to connect with clients and hear what their needs really are and and you know just build a relationship. Um, but also I think where I've been putting my time lately is in looking at how can we improve the efficiency of the products that we sell to our clients? So what kind of tools and um, standardized approaches can we put in place so that, you know, so that we're actually training the team to deliver products in the same way, but in a more efficient way. So this is where I'm trying to put my efforts now is more um, in that area than in the actual client specific client work, you know, so building the relationships, yes, but then ensuring the team has all the tools that they need to deliver their products in a way that really, um, we don't reinvent the wheel each time. If you know what I mean. You, you were mentioning, Tanya, how you've, you've been able to take a step back uh, now that you have the more of a larger team and that they're able to play more of active role doing the face-to-face -face consulting with the client. How, from this higher perspective, um, how do you know when something isn't right, though? What, what indicators do you have if a project is, is going wrong? And, and how do you have that visibility if you're a little bit higher up from it? Uh, so this is an awesome question. So we did that. This was something that, um, that took a while also to, uh, to put in place. Um, because on the one hand, we want to have that visibility. And on the other hand, we don't want to, um, stomp on someone's creativity and independence and so on. Right. So what we did is we put together kind of a, a project governance that would include, um, most part, most projects would have one of the partners being on the project team. So even if we're not directly involved in the client meetings and so on. And so we put, you know, we discuss at the beginning of every project, where are we going to be involved? So are we going to, who's going to do the peer review of this project and who's going to be, um, who's going to be involved at which point is who going to be involved in, in say a, weekly meeting or, or bi-weekly meeting, monthly meeting, whatever it is, uh, review of the deliverables, review of the project plan, whatever we agree to as the team. And that will depend on the resources that we have, the nature of the project, you know, some projects are super easy and don't really require any oversight on that level. Um, but something that we do that I think is the most obvious of, of where a project goes wrong uh, is when the client doesn't communicate as much with us anymore. And maybe is feeling a little bit, you know, that to me, this is the sign, you know, is when a client that has been working with you significantly, of course, there's a project ends. And of course, then it's going to be over. And sometimes they're very satisfied or they don't have need. But sometimes in the middle of the project, the client maybe is, is a little less communicative. Um, this is a little sign to me so that it, uh, that's when you know that, that's your red flag if you're seeing communication like drop then you're like okay yeah. something might be up especially if it's in the middle of the project yeah exactly exactly so, so when that happens uh what do you do to address that challenge well and this goes back to your question before about if i'm less involved and i see it less uh if i'm more involved and i see it more i mean you know the 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 thing is, is to be agile and to try to not use a, a standard solution. It's like, maybe it makes a lot of sense. Client, you know, got really big. We have that a lot, right? Client has a need and then they get extremely busy and then they just 
can't answer anymore. And so you can't, uh, you, I can't, you know, over assume something just because they don't respond, but we can, um, you know, just do a gentle reach out, sort of see where things are going, try different people. Sometimes that works, you know, cause there is sometimes there isn't a fit between the consultant and the client as well. That does happen. So, you know, we can try a different person can do reach out, whether it's an analyst or is someone else in the project team to do some gentle kind of nudge and, and we also have to trust overall that, uh, you know, even if people aren't all, you know, you can't have a hundred percent section rate, but we can get it hopefully uh, as close to that as possible. But uh, knowing that, that sometimes got to trust that it'll work out. What makes you the, the proudest of, of your, of your firm? I absolutely will say that the team itself, and that is uh, something that, um, I wouldn't, you know, I'm just, we have such a great team right at this very moment. And that's been evolving over the last, uh, I mean, we've always had a great team. You know, when I joined in 2016, it was a great team and, uh, and it, it always has been, but it never gelled quite as much as it has gelled right now. And I think the people that we have, um, it, it's fun to work every day. It's fun. I love being in internal meetings with the team and finding out their thinking behind a certain project. And I think that um, we're really collaborative. We really look to each other to, uh, I don't know, to make the product or the project that we're working on really successful. And, and I find that part really fun. So that's great. And of course, I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, my partners and I have built what I feel is a very strong business, uh, great business model. We've done, uh, we've accomplished so much in a year and a half with COVID, you know, working from home. We used to travel constantly. I haven't traveled in a year and a half. And despite all of that, we've still expanded our footprint and, uh, and run a business, which is really fun and cool. It is. That's powerful. Powerful, very much. Thank you so much, Tanya, for, for your time in being able to share just a little bit of this journey that you've been on and, and, and where, where you guys are headed. Um, thanks so much. Well, it was a pleasure. It was really fun, actually, and I uh, hope you have a great day. And we'll see you all on the next episode of the Big Time Podcast. For more info, go to podcasts.bigtime.net and be sure to subscribe to the Big Time Podcast to get notified when our next episode goes live.